Live from the bell tower, taking a stand for your rights, your liberties, and all the bullshit in between. You're listening to Break the Bell Podcast. Howdy ho, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this live edition of the Break the Bell Podcast. As you notice, I am sitting here without Bill because for some reason he decided it was his birthday and he is not here joining me tonight. But don't worry, I am not letting Bill off the hook for this because it's his birthday and I got to treat him right. So I'm going to kill this music early and I'm going to call Bill up to wish him a happy birthday. I actually got him here. I bombarded him. I said, uh, don't go too far from your, your phone there because I will be calling you up. I didn't tell him that, but I'm sure he assumed that. So let me get Bill pulled up because he can't leave us for too long. Bill. Billy, there you are. Hey there. Hey. Bill, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you, you didn't <laughs> think I was going to uh, leave you without uh, wishing you a happy birthday, did you? No, I didn't. I did not. I did not. I, I didn't realize we were, we were going full full uh, break the bell on this bad boy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Obviously, um, I, I wasn't going to let you off the hook. Um, I have a little surprise for you. I've got a birthday oh, present okay. for you. Not only am I saying happy birthday, but you can hear me okay, right? I can, yeah. All right, good, because I'm going to give you this little special treat. So um, hang tight and listen up. Okay. Hey, Bill, this is Justin. I'm out on vacation right now in uh, in Seattle, but I definitely want to give a call and wish you a happy birthday. Uh, I love what you and Craig have been doing, and I'm really happy to see it. Um, I hope you had a great birthday. I hope you did a lot of fun stuff. I hope you drank a lot. I hope you shot some stuff. Preferably not in that order. And uh, I was actually watching a show called uh, Letter Kenny, and I think you and Craig would like that. But anyway, you keep up the great work. Happy birthday, and uh, looking forward to calling soon. See ya. Awesome. I love that. Hang on. Hey, Bill. Oh. Here's your birthday. You know what everyone <laughs> wants to see? You take your shirt <laughs> off and run around on camera screaming about <laughs> the end of the world. That would be cool. Hey, man, it's Remso. Happy birthday. Uh, congrats for a year. Survived. I know not many people thought that you would survive that trip to Vegas or what happened in California <laughs> last year, or that incident between you and Matt Pigeon. But you did it, buddy. You did it. Happy birthday. <laughs> We're not done. We're not done. Oh, okay. This is former slash current 19th president of these United States, Donald J. Trump. Okay. Have you heard about this guy, Bill Filter? Wow. What a guy. I walked in here, I saw Bill, and I said, wow, what a Bill. Birthday Bill. That's just what I like to call it. Birthday Bill. Wow. A great American, a great patriot, and a man of color. Is that is that right? Yeah, he's a man of a few colors, I think. Okay. You look at Bill and it's just like, wow, what are you? Black? Are you white? Brown? Mexican? Or some sort of overcooked Chinese? I don't know. He's one of the good ones. Some people say to me, President Trump, that's not a good bill. And I overrule them. I say that's a good bill. They they say he's a little shady. He seems like there's two sides to him. And I say, well, there's good people on both sides, okay? But no, Bill's a great guy. He's the best Bill I've seen since 
the green new bill or my exorbitantly massive spending bill. And Bill, <laughs> I just wanted to call, okay, and wish you, frankly, a happy Thanksgiving. Don't let those Indians ruin it for you. Merry Christmas, buddy. Go, Bill. Let's go, Bill. That's All awesome. Right, there you go. That's that's my birthday present to you. All your great that, things. That's including awesome. The I love it. The United States. <laughs> no, you well, can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong. I'm going to let you get back to your family birthday time. I just had to get you on and say happy birthday. And we miss you here, and we can't wait to get you back next week. So enjoy Definitely. your family. Happy birthday. Do whatever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hey. Thanks all bell breakers. Have a good night. All right. Bye, man. Bye. <gasps> all right. Now that I got that out of the way, which was important because uh, we can't go without wishing our very own a happy birthday, even though he's uh, bailing on us for tonight. But do not worry. I'm not going to be left um, single-handed here carrying the show by myself because I am graced with going to be graced with the presence of one of the Lines of Liberty conglomerate members, that is Brian McWilliams. He hosts Electric Liberty Land on the uh, Lions of Liberty podcast. So he's going to be joining me in just a couple minutes, and he's going to be discussing. I want to pick his brain because for some godforsaken reason, this man lives in California, and I don't know why libertarians would ever choose to fucking live in California. But for some reason, this man has decided that this is the best option for him, or maybe he just doesn't feel there's any way out. Maybe he's in prison there. I don't know. He lives in California. We all know how fucked up California is, so I want to pick his brain about that because I don't know why. I, I, I can't explain it. I would never move to that godforsaken state, but for some reason he thinks it's necessary. So um, before I get into that, obviously I got to mention our coffee fix of freedom, our sponsors. That is Run Your Mouth Coffee, the official coffee of freedom. Um, they support all things that are not socialist, unlike Brian McWilliams of the Lions of Liberty podcast. I know he can hear me because I can see he's down on the call right now. So I can say whatever I want about him right now. Um, apparently, Brian supports socialism because he lives in California. But rest assured, our friends at Run Your Mouth Coffee do not support socialism. They support your your ability to say whatever the hell you want to, to come on and just completely run your mouth the way I am right now. Um, that's hence the name, Run Your Mouth Coffee. Let me pull up their banner. Where the fuck did that go? I'm not, I, I haven't figured out my new software yet. So rest assured, I will get there. Go to rymcoffee.com. Tell them we sent you by using the promo code Break the Bell. That's all one word, no spaces. Break the Bell. You'll get 10% off your order. You can support a delicious product. Um, it's delivered fresh to your door. And then they also, once again, support your your freedoms and freedom of speech and the, the, your uh, personal liber liberties and all that, that, all the shit that we talk about on this show. So go to rymcoffee.com. That's all. I'm going to get in the show real quick because I, I don't have a lot of time with Brian. He's going to be hanging out with us for the first hour. And then after that, we'll see where the show goes. But um, I'm going to get right into this intro video, but make sure you like and share, subscribe, all that, that fun shit that we tell you to do all over, all over the social media platform so we can become bigger and better and do, do better things. Um, check us out on patreon.com forward slash break the bell. If you want to support us further, you can sign up for some of those Patreon levels. You can have access to bonus content. You can have access to certain merchandise and just help us make this show a better thing and continue to push this further. 
Uh, share us around, like, subscribe. Otherwise, I'm going to get right into this intro video. And when I come back, I will have Brian McWilliams of the Lions of Liberty podcast. We will be right back. What did you say? You talking to me? What? What the heck are you talking about? What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you saying? What did you say? Are you talking to me? Well, maybe he was talking to me. Talk to me. What in heaven's name are you talking about? Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, baby. Did you just say? What did you say? You listen to me. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? All right, as I promised, I've got Brian McWilliams here of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Give me just a second to kill the music, Brian, and we'll get you on the show. So this is Brian McWilliams, like I said, of the Lions of Liberty podcast. He's the host of Electric Liberty Land on Lions of Liberty, and you're also the host of the Boring Podcast. Is that correct? Oh, shit. I can't hear you. Hang on. I got you muted. Or you got you muted. I had me muted. Apologies. There you are. Me. That's my bad. That's a Brian McWilliams bad. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Boring podcast. The other one. Uh, that's one, you know, we started in the efforts to try to expand uh, the content. You know, I've been harping on and getting more content out there that's not explicitly libertarian slash free market slash whatever uh, that the people hate. You know, roundly, roundly hated by all the people. So yeah. it's like yeah. our no, comedy podcast. You know, you got to attack them from the outside so they don't know what they're getting until it's too late. Like herpes. I've had, <laughs> exactly. I've actually had uh, a couple different libertarian podcasts. I, I've noticed that they're they're moving away from the name Liberty in their title because it scares people away immediately. And I've had certain individuals. Actually, I think it was um, um, John Odermatt of the Lions of Liberty said, hey, Ooh. he 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 likes that um, our show does not have any mention of the name libertarian. Um, we don't even really necessarily say we're a libertarian podcast we just talk about all the things i guess that libertarians like so um i we don't like to put ourselves in that box just because of what you said there it scares people away or we want to be able to talk about other things that aren't specifically libertarian but then you have lions of liberty too where you can just talk libertarian stuff so um yeah yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where we, you know, for a while now, we've also debated about getting rid of the Liberty title. And, if, you know, John mentioned it's um, it's definitely liber uh, limiting. It's limiting in its liberty because it basically ostracizes half the audience immediately. You know, like mm -hmm. your conservative side may still come in, they may not. But the word liberty can easily ostracize half the country, half the audience. And that's one thing that we're very wary of. Now, we debated getting rid of it and, and rebranding. Um, if that, but we've been around too long, you know, it's like, we've been around so long. We're one of the OG podcasts, as you know, it's hard to ditch that to me working in public relations. I can tell you, you, when you build up a brand equity to that extent, it's not a good idea to just ditch it. 
I may yet rebrand my personal show, this show, to something new. And I've been uh, thinking about a couple of different titles because I want to try to expand and get more people interested and get more people involved. And, you know, it's funny. You start a show and this show, Electric Liberty Land, I started, I was like, all right, I'll be I'll be kind of the uh, the freewheeling show that people can approach. You know, it's going to be more, more welcoming. It's going to be a little funny and more approachable to the everyday schmuck out there that's not deeply embedded in the libertarian world. You know, people can tune yep. in any time from any side. And then I just went down the fucking libertarian rabbit hole. And now I just get pissed off and yell about like the most libertarian anarcho-capitalist talking points. So it effectively <laughs> evolved it into exactly what I was trying not to do. But uh, I, hey, that's where the boring, boring pocket uh, exists. There you go. You got to have other um, routes, avenues to release some of that, either release some of that other tension or get away from some of that other tension where you can just step aside um, and talk about the things you actually enjoy talking about and don't get pissed off talking about. I have noticed on your show, you kind of seem like, and no offense, I, I, I tend to run my mouth on the show. Uh, you kind of seem like the, the angry grandpa that's yelling at kids sometimes when, when you get into the show. Like, I, I notice the whole kids these days vibe coming off your show sometimes. And I get that way, too. Like, I, I don't fucking understand anything about this younger generation. And that just shows my age because I never thought I would be there. I always said I'm not going to be I'm going to be the understandable guy when I get older. I'm going to understand the generation and stuff. No, no, I don't fucking understand it at all. So <laughs> I, I, I'm right there with you. Well, I can understand them. That's not the problem. I, I understand what they're doing. I just think it's fucking stupid. You know, that's the problem is really. And that's what people I think when we were younger, you know, the people yelling at you that were older, we were like, what's well, this guy's problem? He doesn't get it. No, no, they get it. They just don't they, like it. They <laughs> that's just the way I am. I just stupid. Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, before I forget, happy birthday to Bill. Uh, I am presuming that he did not ask when he blew his candles out, you know, when he made a wish, didn't ask for thicker eyebrows. Uh, how would that wish ever come true? How would it be possible? <laughs> he not couldn't possible. possibly get thicker eyebrows. I've actually compared him to Colin Farrell because I've, I've told him that I hate Colin Farrell because of his eyebrows. And Bill's like, I have <laughs> thick eyebrows, too. I'm like, Exactly. <laughs> He's got did Adam Carolla uh, milkman with his mom way back in the day. Is that how uh, he got those gorgeous eyebrows? Sorry, my fucking dog's like, let me outside right now. That, right. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, we don't claim to be professionals around here, so um, whatever whatever interrupts us, I can roll with it. That is no problem. Um, one thing <laughs> I did notice on your profile, and then you've mentioned it a couple times on your podcast that I've heard, is you either are or used to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, it's, you know, it's something where I, so I moved to Los Angeles, right? You, you know, my intro about me being a, a bald socialist uh, and all that good stuff is, um, you know, I moved to California because I want to get into the entertainment business. And I still do, you know, it's still something that is really at top of mind for me, especially when you talk about how to influence culture. And I think the culture is something that we have to focus on much more than politics in large, uh, large respect, if we actually want to make a meaningful difference as far as libertarian ideas are concerned. So Still out here trying to write, still out here trying to uh, to make my bones as a screenwriter, but I figured a lot of the ways you can get into comedy writing rooms and sitcoms is by doing stand-up comedy. You can get recognized, you can see people meet you, and you make your network run pretty well with people. So right. started doing stand-up comedy, um, you know, started going to some of the some of the main comedy store, you know, there's there's, there's like three big ones, the improv, um, the laugh factory, and the comedy store. But then I happened to come out at the same time where there's a ton of um, kind of underground shows rising up. And so I got into doing, doing a few shows at the big shops. And then I was like, this is horrible. 
because he had to stay out at a nine to five, still do, you know, 20 years of public relations executive. And you had to sit there. They'd have, you know, 10 spots that you could do your open bike shit. And that's how you get booked regularly on these bigger uh, stages. Mm-hmm. And you have to sit there for hours. You show up at like four in the afternoon, which if you have a job, you can't do. And then you got to sit there for two hours, three hours. And then maybe you get up. Hopefully you get up. And then you got to talk and kiss ass and suck dick around the, uh, the old the old chatting area around whoever books the shows. So it's just a fucking nightmare. That sounds but horrible. I did a lot of these underground. Yeah. Sorry. What's that? Is that <laughs> Now, that sounds absolutely horrible. Absolutely a nightmare. So I'm sure you've got this plenty in your life. Um, so you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. Oh, yeah. Happens all the time. <laughs> but I know, but fortunately, I do have a go-to joke. I have a couple go-to jokes I whip out. Would let's you like to hear one of my favorites? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So this is, this is one of my all-time favorites. Um, you know, I tell people, I do this whole bit when I go on stage, I have this bald head and uh, go up on stage, you know, tell people that I'm an idea man even though from looking at me, you know, you probably presume that I am a uh, bouncer at a strip club called Hitler's Titlers. And everybody goes, ah, you know, then, then I tell them, uh, but I do have some great ideas. And one of my ideas is that I want to create a, uh, a kosher hot dog stand called Anne's Franks. And, uh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not, a, it's not going to be anything fancy, just you know, a little little hole in the wall type of, type of place. And uh, we're going to have one special. And it's just regular hot dog, but you have to eat it very, very quietly. <laughs> and that's the joke I whip out on people that uh, is, you know, still very on PC, but very, it's yes. quick enough. It gets a laugh. I love and, it. Uh, uh, I, I'm and sure it, good, you, for, good for any situation. I'm sure you get some people that are like, I'm never fucking asking that guy for a joke again. <laughs> that's the idea, man. You want to make him <laughs> laugh and shut him up at the same time. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm going to put you... Uh, I'm definitely going to put you aside as some a resource I'm going to have for other options besides just coming on my show and talking because I might need you for a joke here and there once in a while. So, um, all right, hit me up. I got I I literally I sit next to a book of them and uh, my joke book. You see, very full of jokes. Very nice. And uh, you know, at least ten percent of them are are worthwhile. Most of them are complete dog shit, as is most content. Out of any person. I have heard um, several podcasters say that they started out because they wanted to be stand-up comedians, and then they it didn't really work out or it wasn't what they thought, so they merged into podcasting. And I, I found that interesting. And then hearing that you were a stand-up comedian, too, um, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that before we get into the conversation. Um, I know you don't mm-hmm. have a whole lot of time, so I, I just want to get right into this conversation. First of all, uh, obviously— I'm assuming you're a libertarian because you are on the Lines at Liberty podcast. So um, I just want to know. I I usually ask, what was your what was your journey into libertarianism? How did you find it? Were you already kind of thinking that process? Were you something completely different? And then you had this eye waking eye opening moment, or how how did you find your way to libertarianism? Well, so you know, it's it's one of those things where it, I didn't really know I was a libertarian. Kind of floated around from side to side. This is this is gonna be the exact same story you've heard from everybody, by the way. All they right. all, we all have the same fucking story. Of if course. you're my age, which is yeah, which is you know, I was in college. You floated around. Um, you know, Lions of Liberty. We went to college together at Penn State. That's how we met. But I voted for Bush because Bush ran on a platform. By the way, an unbelievably libertarian platform. George mm-hmm. W. Bush unbelievably libertarian, no empire building, you know, free regulation, free trade, uh, yeah, all these, all these wonderful promises. And then once he's in there, just 
completely does everything the opposite. You know, yeah. warmongering, uh, part of a piece of shit, destroys the education system, no child left behind, all this fucking crap. So, you know, voted for him. I actually, believe it or not, had voted for John Kerry um, when I <clears throat> when I first moved to, uh, to Los Angeles. But then the great Ron Paul came around. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was brought to the attention, of course, Howie Snowden, the godfather of uh, the Lions of Liberty. He had been a page back in D.C. and had met Ron Paul and had always fun to follow him. And he was the, the original libertarian in our cadre. And he had told Mark about this guy. Of course, you know, Mark moves out to L.A., I think, in like 2004, 2005. And starts talking a little bit about him. And just as Ron Paul's coming up and, you know, he starts to make his, his great run. And when he did, you know, the, uh, the 2008 run, it was something where it was impossible to not just be attracted to the honesty he brought to the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seeing that he's right, you start to read and the Fed, you start to read these different books that come out about libertarianism and libertarian thoughts, the economics behind it. And it's something that is such an impossible truth to deny that it just won me over to the point where, you know, Mark and I even went around Los Angeles going door to door, trying to get other people to, to weigh in and, and support Ron Paul. And the most aggravating thing about that was we'd go door to door and people would say, oh, I love Ron Paul. Yeah, he's great, but I'm not going to vote for him. <laughs> Which you go, okay, why not? If you love this guy, why aren't you going to vote for him? And they'd right. either say, because he's a Republican, or they'd say, because he won't win. Both of which are unbelievably aggravating answers. Right. For obvious reasons. So, you know, but that got that got me in. And once once I had that uh, that heroin in my veins, I never really turned back. Um, you know, of course, Ron ran again and uh, we had started a website. You know, well, we started Lions of Liberty as a pure website writing articles. There was a hub called the Daily Paul, which we post this on. And that we had got a shit ton of web traffic from there. And then uh, Mark started up the podcast and John and I had uh, jumped on that afterwards as well to, uh, you know, we thought he's doing fine, but we can do better. And thus... <laughs> We did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Mark's doing just fine. He's, he's all right with it. Uh, I, I've always I always chuckle when um, he calls himself the flagship podcast flagship podcast. And yeah. I, I always wonder how that makes you you all feel you and John feel when it's, he calls himself that I, the, the flagship. We don't mind. Right. Because he was the first one. Right. He was the originator of the, uh, the podcast space and lines of liberty. Mm-hmm. So we're fine with that. It's when it's when uh, you know our our social media guy who I love Justin Campbell love him but I uh, wrote him a very uh, a very pointed message to slap him upside the head I don't like it when people call Mark our leader because he is not <laughs> in any fucking sense of the word he is not we are a uh, very we are an equal three part team and we make all the decisions um as a whole yeah so it's it's uh, annoying as shit because it also it really is kicking the balls it undermines the amount of work that uh, the john and i do and and it's which is very substantial you know if we um especially for our patreon people behind the paywall the amount of content that i create for the patreon people is um, immense Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean by far the most you're ever going to get from any libertarian podcast so um yeah it's a a little kick in the nuts but (laughs) whatever man you know whatever well, the I've, ego boat needs to be floated somehow, so you got to keep pumping water into the tank. Well, obviously, obviously, and uh, Mark needs that extra boost every once in a while. I've had both. <laughs> I've had both Mark. Mark's and, got the most hair of any of us. It, he doesn't need any extra boost. I need the that's boost. That's true. That I, that's fair. <laughs> um, I've had both Mark and John on in the last year, and you're the the end of my trifecta of getting all the Lions of Liberty guys on. I've even had Justin Campbell on before I got you on. So. Um, that that's it. I I was just holding out for the right the right moment I guess to get you on. Um, I like to play hard to get, buddy. I, I guess so. So uh, I briefly mentioned I wanted to talk 
to you about the great state of California because you and Mark both live. Mark still lives in California, right? No, Mark. Mark boogied out to Mexico. Oh, that's right. That's right. I did know that. Yeah, so yeah, you're the last gone. one standing. He, he took a stand against the NFL. Yeah, uh, he took a stand against the NFL to his credit uh, and the vaccine bullshit. And yeah, yeah, he moved down with his wife in Mexico now. So I I did see that. I forgot about that. But so you originated from the East Coast or the East Eastern region, right? So what what exactly brought you to California? You went. I mean, you're a libertarian, obviously. Were you a libertarian before you moved to California? I don't remember if you said. No, I was not. I was I was uh, politically undecided. You know, okay. I flipped from side to side, but that means that I was ideologically open to the concepts of libertarianism. Sure. So, so what made you decide? Hey, I'm going to go to the most, I I don't know, socialist or um, authoritarian state in the entire United States. Hey, that that looks like the place for me. Well, you know, I mean, let, well, Pennsylvania is where I'm from, and it's not much better there, by the way. You know, it's uh, it, Pennsylvania is it kind of goes back and forth, but under the latest governor, it's been very blue and very shitty and very COVID lockdowny as well. Yeah. But back in the day, you know, California wasn't quite as bad. Number one, I mean, it didn't have this insane amount of uh, I, the homeless industrial complex, for example, didn't exist when I first moved to California. Sure. And now is a predominant factor, especially in uh, as far as regulatory environments, as far as what you can and can't do, as far as private property rights, as far as it's, everything has gone mad. Mm. But, you know, when I first moved here, it wasn't it wasn't just a fucking crazy nightmare. And now, you know, I find myself I've been here almost 20 years, which is shocking to say, because I, I will never consider California home. I will say that for a fact. Never in my life will I consider California home. And you've lived but, there for 16 years now? Almost 20 years. 20 almost years. 20 years. And still still not yeah, your I've got home. A wife. It'll, ne it'll never be. And frankly, it's because California, you know, it, when your way of thinking is so ideologically separated from the people that surround you all the time. And yes. Even though I can have any number of friends here, and, and I do have a lot of friends here, but it just has a different feeling to it. You know, just the environment's different. I, it just... There's something about it, you know, the, the nature of the city is very transitory in its feel as well. You know, California and, and Los Angeles was thrown up very quickly. Uh, you can tell by the architecture, mm -hmm. you know, I was just in Vienna, which is why, you know, hopefully I'm not too off my game right now. because It's like uh, 1 a.m. Vienna time, and sure. I'm still a little jet lags. I got in like yesterday. Yeah. But, you know, you're in Vienna and you can see this architecture and, and it's like, you know, it has a certain feel to it, it has a certain cultural resonance to it. And Los Angeles is a city which has a culture of just shittiness. <laughs> it's like backstabbing, mm -hmm. shittiness, you know, people that will step over your, your corpse in the street if it would get them a, a spot, you know, on a TV show. Everybody's a little bit fake. Everybody's a little bit too nice and nobody's very honest. And maybe yeah. that's why I don't have a, a real fondness for it, despite the fact that I've been here so long. Right. But now that I'm here... And, you know, I've got a house. Um, fortunately, I didn't buy it for cheap, but I bought it for cheaper than it's going right now because everything in the world has exploded and as far as real estate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've got a wife. I've got a family here. My wife's family's here. So I am effectively trapped here. <laughs> and uh, the question is always now, what would make me move? And when do you give up and stop fighting? Yeah. And, you know, right now I, I feel almost... If you just give up and move away and you stop fighting and you stop, you know, stop pushing back on all these different things to to flee to an Austin, which is just, by the way, quickly becoming, even though there's a lot of libertarians moving there, it's quickly becoming another fucking Los Angeles because you're yep. having an equal amount of 
infrastructure you know put in there for uh socialist you know socialist projects sure. big tech or whatever all this other shit but you know who's going to be left to fight if i you know if i flee um and i do think that we're at a time where a lot of the stuff that's going on even though gavin newsom did not get recalled right and uh, i think he would have if larry elder hadn't run and we can talk about that if you want sure but we'll I talk about whatever you want Okay. Well, well, I, I, I want this to be a conversation, not just be ranting at you. No, so. no, no. I understand. I know I've got some questions and stuff for you too. So, um, whatever you got to say though, I am, I'm an open book because I lived in California. I was stationed there for two and a half years, but it was just mm. on base and I was, I was broke and married with a kid. So I, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't experience that much of California. Where, so where were you? Were you down to like San Diego? 29 Palms, which is the middle of the fucking oh. desert. Um, just yeah. probably 45 minutes from <laughs> Palm Springs. It, it sucked. And I didn't experience California the way everybody talks about. So my kid says, hey, I was born in California. It's like, yeah, but you weren't actually born in California. You were born in the middle of the desert. You didn't. And I would never move back to California. So um, stop telling people you're from California. You have to bury your baby in a hole, right? When you have, it's like Dune when you have the baby in the Californian uh, desert. It's yeah. like you have to be in the, the tunnels like the Fremen. I didn't know that we were supposed to. That's just what I did. So maybe I started. <laughs> maybe I started that trend. I don't. I don't fucking know. Um, so to kind of talk more about what you're talking about, um, I kind of want to focus uh, on some of these because California is known to have some of the most stringent. COVID procedures, maybe other, maybe other states like Pennsylvania do, but you don't hear about it nearly as much as you do California. It's like California is the poster child of these stringent um, procedures. And then Texas is the poster, Texas and Florida is the poster child for the more um, like conservative views on uh, the COVID procedures and just about everything else. Even though like Iowa would relax things long before, like months before uh, Texas would. Mm -hmm. I'm from Iowa. So um, I, I would come out and be like, hey, we're we're banning all mask mandates. And then Texas would come out like a month later and everybody would be like, oh, did you hear about Texas? They did this. They're they're It's like we did that like two months ago, but nobody gives a shit about Iowa. So it's like Texas and California are like the poster children for the the bipolarness of this country. So um, talk to me a little bit about what you experienced during some of these stringent COVID, like the lockdowns, you guys were locked down for freaking months. Yeah, it was ridiculous how long we were locked down where you weren't able to go to, you know, bars, restaurants were just shut down. They could do takeout only. Um, and, you know, it was, you, the stat across the board, I think, is one third of restaurants and bars went out of business. Mm -hmm. Now, in Los Angeles, that number is probably higher because the rents are exceptionally high. And, you know, there wasn't a rent moratorium for there was a rent moratorium for, you know, people to not pay rent on their apartments, but that didn't exist for businesses. So many, many businesses here, I saw go out of business. They, um, you know, the storefronts were open across the board on, especially where it was high real estate costs, you know, the main drags where you could take a risk, maybe if you're a smaller store and open up a shop that, that catered to, uh, to goods where you're curating them on your own, but those businesses all went on, you know, it's mm -hmm. also what you saw was a lot, kind of like the Amazon model, right? Where Amazon right. crushes the competition, and then comes in, and I don't know if you see this, but it's hilarious, and I predicted this several years ago, Amazon crushes the competition, right? And then all the retail properties are open, all the retail commercial stores are open, and uh, now you can buy your retail for super cheap. So Amazon now has opened up bookstores, they've opened up uh, grocery stores, they've opened up regular stores, kind of like 
in the 40 year old virgin, you know, the yeah. eBay shop. You <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Just got a shit you buy on eBay. <laughs> Amazon literally has that store now. Wow. And they have in California and a few other markets. Yeah. And it's like, here's the shit you could buy at Amazon, but you could come and get it here in the store. <laughs> they exist and they're buying up all the retail property and filling them. Wow. So, yeah, the COVID lockdowns absolutely were devastating. And, um, you know, like, like with several of those cities, there were a couple of bright sides to it in that they places that were able to survive, right? They enabled them to build outdoor structures. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you have this where you are, but in, in uh, California, a lot of people expanded into the streets. I know New York and many other major cities say this, but they closed off one side of the, of the street, or if it was like, you know, whatever it might be, two-lane highway they'll, or two-way streets. They close off a portion so that you could have outside patios. And while that's nice, the state didn't help you with constructing those patios. Obviously. Right? So if you're, yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not, even though uh, if you think with all the fucking union support that they get here in the, uh, the unionist state of California, right? They mm -hmm. would be, uh, make some deal with the carpenters union or whatever the prop masters union to go and build these fucking things for them. But they enable people to build them, but they cost, you know, either, 5,000, you know, for a fairly simple construction of wood and, you know, insides, and you had to put up plastic barriers between every table in the forefront of it. And, uh, you know, 20,000, 40,000, because wow. some of these places really went balls to the wall and built out quite beautiful structures. I mean, really impressive stained and carpeted and, you know, and booths and all this thing, cushions and shit to make them really nice because they didn't know when or if they'd be able to open up inside. And they knew that they were basically taking out yet another loan in a business like a restaurant that's a very low um, uh, profit margin. Mm -hmm. So they go into even more debt to try to open up and, and keep this thing going. So the bright side of that was that in California, you're allowed to keep these external additions open and some cities are making them permanent, right? So that's great. And what they're doing is making people pay for that square footage at a, fairly reasonable cost and also we're doing takeaway alcohol and that's through 2026 you can do four to-go cocktails right i mean that was the best thing that came out of covid19 was the carry yeah. out cocktails i mean yeah before you couldn't walk out the of the bar delivery. because i i don't know how many yeah. times I, I in a stupor attempted to take my cup outside and people would be like, well, you can't do that. that. That's illegal. You can't walk outside with your cup. We need to keep those here. You couldn't even go outside to smoke in a lot of places, carrying your alcohol yeah. outside. And now, uh, due to, I don't know if they still have it here, but due to COVID-19 restrictions, now we have the opportunity of carry out and delivery alcohol. And that should just be yep. a thing across the board forever. Uh, agreed. And they, like I said, they extended it here until 2026. Hopefully it just is here to stay. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things where it tends to be that anything that is freedom crushing is stays forever, right? You can yes. never get rid of it. And uh, it never rolls back any sort of expenditure and shit that they give us, the pittance that they sprinkle on us, the fairy dust, that tends to blow away in the wind very quickly, but that might be one that stays. Oh yeah. But yeah. You know, just to, to illustrate a little bit more about the lockdowns real quick, and then I'll, we'll, we can, you know, hedge off of that no problem. um so they you know they imposed mask lockdowns you know a couple of, you couldn't go anywhere without a mask you uh you couldn't go to to many many stores many you know not only not only uh were, were restaurants closed down but a lot of small retail stores were closed down as well right so if you had a small clothing shop you know that was difficult to get into it was like the big box stores were open so you know the targets everything mm -hmm. those got the most benefit while everybody else had just shut down now 
the other aspect of the COVID lockdowns was that they would also really lock down hardcore outside. Now, we know there's no definitive proof uh, that there's transmission outdoors. Now, that doesn't mean it can't happen. You know, famously, I think um, my friend Anthony Samaroff, uh, super spreader Anthony Samaroff, had given, <laughs> given COVID to people. And I just saw him, so I don't feel bad busting his balls at, uh, at the Forkfest event. Mm-hmm. But there's no proof that this can happen in a reasonable environment where you're not you know, spitting into others' mouths and licking their nostrils. Are you so, saying that's what Anthony just, did, and, was spit into people's mouth and lick their nostrils? I think, and he's so, he's so short, which is why, I, I don't know how he did it. People might have been licking the sweat off his, his bald head. Maybe that was you know, it. Someone, please, I'm, I'm, I'm burning up. Can someone please lick the top of my head? So, anyway, um, I lost my fucking train of thought now. Oh, out, outside. So, even the thing that was mind-boggling in California was that you have miles and miles of beaches, hundreds of miles of beaches. You have hundreds of outdoor parks here, but they would not allow you to go to an outdoor park without a mask on. You can't play on a playground without a mask on. You can't your kid. Like people got arrested for taking their children to the fucking parks without masks on. You know, you had people in the in the water in the beach. One guy was out on a paddleboard alone in the middle of the ocean and the Coast Guard comes up or maybe it was a police boat. Right. Because they, uh, you know, whatever county boat comes mm-hmm. up. And they fucking pull the guy off of his paddleboard and arrest him for not wearing a mask in the ocean paddleboard. So now, so they had to get in closer proximity to him in order to arrest him, yeah. potentially spreading COVID because he was out by yeah. himself paddleboarding. Yes, correct. Logic. Also, it's just the fundamental idiocy of all this shit. Too. And, and even right now, you know, California still has a mask mandate, and we also have a uh, passport mandate, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. The vaccine passport mandate just went into effect. I was going to ask about uh, that, as yeah. of November, as of November eighth. So the other thing is, though, you think about okay, if you're going to go down in the ocean paddleboarding, if you put a mask on, you're not going to be able to breathe. You fall in the water, you're gasping for breath if you're drowning. And having a wet piece of fucking cloth is effectively waterboarding. I was going to say you are. Waterboarding yourself. That is literally waterboarding yourself. I have done similar. I I, I ride a motorcycle and I put on a neck gaiter once because it was raining out and um, and it was stinging my face. Well, that thing got so saturated, I literally couldn't breathe and I was effectively waterboarding myself. So I understand what that feels like. So, yes, for your own public, for your own personal safety, put on this mask so you can essentially drown yourself. That makes sense. Yep. Exactly right. But no, this is all, remember guys, follow the science. So yeah, we're following the science. Children still have to wear masks on the playground. You know, I'll be out walking my dog without a goddamn mask on. I remember one time a, a child and I had a moment of bonding and not in the, you know, the pedophilia way that all of you perverts are thinking in a regular good way. But I'm walking the dogs down the street and these kids are all running around the track, right? And the elementary school or the middle school, or whatever it was, they all have their stupid masks on this one brave bastard. God bless him, was running around inside the fence and he pulled his mask off his face and he saw me walking the dogs without it. He and I locked eyes and he was like, yeah. <laughs> you knew, you knew, you made that brain <laughs> connection. We both knew. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's, but, it, um, it's interesting yeah. how you get those people, and I've seen it too, I'll walk in without a mask and people will see you and they'll take theirs off. It's like, somebody's yeah. got to lead the way here because this is... So getting to such a ridiculous point here that they've even said they don't even know the effectiveness of masks or um, it's impossible to prove. Well, and then they yeah. came they came out a few months ago and they said they don't know where the six foot social distancing even came from. It, it They just it just 
I came can tell to be. you. I know where it came from. Do you want to know? Huh? It actually, uh, from I've read this in, in a, a couple different sources, uh, who did, weren't just reporting on each other's shit. Where it came from was that some general in the United States Army, his kid did a science project on <laughs> viruses and social distancing conceptually, right? And again, you know, proving nothing. They can't you can't effectively measure it necessarily, right. or this kid didn't. But that was literally where this concept came from. Do you know how many science papers I wrote that literally had was straight full of bullshit? And yeah. if oh, if uh, if I somebody would... decided to make <laughs> national policy around some of my science or um, school papers, man, I I'd be terrified because they are chocked full of bullshit. And so um, for oh. it to come from a high school science paper, and then everybody be like, you know what, this is a fucking great idea. Who decided it was a great it's, idea to follow the high schooler? Well, you know, it's one of those things which it's a it's one of those problematic scientific uh, premises that is much like the mast. Mm. It's hard to prove that it would be detrimental, right? Because sure. that's the key. It's not that they can prove it's effective. No one can prove that it's detrimental to the spread of the virus because right. logic dictates, right? Okay, okay. Well, if uh, you know, if uh, people have spit flying in the air, then having a mask cloth in front of your face should be effective. Now, California got sued in regards to this, especially in, specifically in regards to external outdoor communication. Mm -hmm. They were sued in court, I think by Orange County, and uh, which is a county in California, about this because they wanted to open their beaches up. And they sued the state of California saying, you can't prove this, go ahead and try. California failed in a court of law and the judge went, nope, you can't enforce it. Masks outside are bullshit. But to this day, though, we still have to wear masks. All the studies they've done are inconclusive where they say that we find, I think the one study they, they was able to quantify it in some way, shape, or form said that they, they found that 6%, it helped you by 6%. Six, that's what we're going, so basing we're this all, on this <laughs> Let's ruin our children's ability to learn emotion and to learn uh, social interaction and sure. intuitive social processing by, by virtue of their visual cortexes. And instead, limit them uh, from interaction with the other humans for a six percent gain. Wow! But, um, yeah, yeah. That, but, uh, that's bizarre. Yeah, man. It's... And I, I never even really processed the idea of how this is <clears throat> affecting children's social interaction because social interaction is learned through obviously facial recognition or re recognizing, yeah. like being able to read the situation here. That comes from facial expression and stuff and if you don't have that then we are just developing a bunch of like human drones which is probably what they want most likely but i never even really really went down that road with this yes i i saw like the stupidity of mass i saw the potential for health damage like breathing in your own carbon dioxide or whatever germs you're which everybody everybody loves their own you know a little bit of their own sauce now and then but just yeah. not all the time but yeah i never never really even thought about the the mental effect that it has or the the developmental effect that it has on children having to wear masks and not see those those facial expressions and stuff for a good chunk of their life for a good chunk of their developing life they do not experience facial reactions yeah. I mean, especially if your kid's in school, like my kid's in daycare right now, but she's under mm -hmm. two. Now, as of two years old, state of California, if you're in uh, public school or daycares are considered public school, they're, they're wrapped into this. So as of two, they're going to force you to put a mask on. Now I'm hoping there's a, f a few months left before that happens. I'm hoping this mm -hmm. shit, you know, is dropped by then, but if not, 
how many days, you know, she's in daycare eight hours a day, you know, cause it's, you know, from the start of the workday to the end of the workday, that is the majority of the time that she's awake. Yeah. Not seeing faces, not being able to read other people's expressions, uh, not being able to see like, imagine children with disabilities as far as speaking, you know, mm -hmm. speech impediments or, or a little bit of slow uh, cognitively as in regards to speech development. You need to see how things are said, you know, even learning to read, you can read to somebody in a mask, right? But if they can't see how you are forming the words, <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to fucking pick it up very well, are right. they? And all the kids now are in school. You know, she gets, she goes to school. She's up for an hour and a half. She goes to school. She gets home. She's up for about an hour and a half, two hours, and it's bedtime. Mm -hmm. So she's literally in school, you know, 200% as much as she is out of school. So that's 200% more mass time. It's just fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But they also now, despite the fact that we've seen COVID hospitalization rates drop, the even the transmission and case rates in California were dropping exponentially. Uh, and even San Francisco, San Francisco dropped its fucking COVID vaccine. They had no passports. They had been dropping like mask mandates and shit. During this, the LA City Council votes to put in vaccine passports to go into any restaurant, any bar, any gym. The only place you're not going to require these is to go into a food store you know, or a, or a clothing store, like a big box clothing store. Those are considered mm. essential. You can go into those no matter what. Yes. But they do this. The timing of it is so confusing and so paradoxical that you have to say this is not about safety anymore. This is about authoritarianism. First and foremost, it's about tracking. And, you know, as I've, as I've surmised before about this shit, it's about proving that you're right. You know, these people have to prove that they are correct and that they are demonstrably uh, in the right. Otherwise, they will be considered the demons that they are and they won't be able to live with themselves, nor should people want them to live with themselves. You know, yeah. I encourage suicide among any of any the number of the people of the LA City Council highly encourage suicide, except for the two <laughs> members that voted against it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did read today that California became the first state that is jumping on uh, vaccine mandates across the board. Um, so has that gone into effect or is it just L.A. County for right now? For right now, this is just L.A. County um, and, the, and the vaccine mandates, they haven't they haven't mandated vaccines. Now it's, it's vaccine passports, so it's still voluntary, they'll tell you. Right. It's coercive as fuck, but it's voluntary for you to be able to go about and live your daily life. But yeah, the um, I haven't seen anything be put into practice yet mandating that people have to get the injection, at least not that I've read in California okay. yet. Okay, so I I missed part of that. It was California becomes the first state in the nation to announce vaccine requirements for schools. So this is uh, Gavin Newsom's uh, little quote mm -hmm. here. It says, the state already requires that students are vaccinated against viruses that cause measles, mumps, rubella. There's no reason why we wouldn't do the same for COVID-19. Today's measure, just like our first in the nation school masking and staff vaccination requirements. I see how he, for no other reason, is just trying to be the first in the nation. Why, why does he have to mention there? You know how we were first in the nation for masking and, and vaccine requirements? Right. Um, it's just like, hey, we just want to be first. He goes on to say it's about protecting our children and school staff and keeping them in in the classroom. Vaccines work. It's why California leads the country in preventing school closures and has the lowest case rate. We encourage other states to follow our lead to keep our kids safe and prevent the spread of COVID-19. What do you think? So many lies in that sentence, by the way. So many fucking <laughs> lies. It just, it just the fact that, that this asshole is touting preventing school closures is complete horseshit. Well, then California is, he... uh, you know. He even threatened. Okay. He even threatened the schools. It's like if you guys aren't vaccinated, you got to go back to 
distance learning or online learning or whatever. So he's he's touting his power there too. But go ahead. Oh no, it's just to say he's they've been abominable. I mean, it, the LAUSD, the LA uh, you know Unified School District, their teachers go on fucking strike every two years. They have they already get paid more than almost any other countries teachers in the country. You know, the median pay pay uh, scale is more than most people in this country make. Mm. You know, and also they get three months of the year off. They get benefits out the ass. They have one of the earliest retirement ages. They have the best per uh, perks once they do uh, retire. They're the most privileged bunch of fucking shitheads you're ever going to meet. So, <laughs> Tell us how you really also, feel. Yeah, well, they also, you know, teach over Zoom. They were teaching over Zoom for longer than, you know, almost any other school district, doing this distance learning bullshit, which is completely ineffective, having 50% failout rates. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's fucking ridiculous. So in regards to this, like, so Gavin Newsom, once he, you know, he had signed a shit ton of bills in. You know, this is one of them. Although I don't know if this bill has actually been, I don't know if this has actually passed and been approved yet, to be honest, because okay. I don't think it has. Um, but he did approve a bunch of other bills and sign them into effect that were just, I wouldn't say they're COVID lockdown related, but it's just more of this, you know, the overall trend of authoritarianism and, uh, and kind of woke nonsense for the sake of woke nonsense. One such uh, school related example is that now you have to go and take a ethics class, a race ethics class. Oh God. In order to graduate from high school. So now you have to go and be taught. You have to go and be brainwashed into this wokeism uh, just to graduate. You uh, also, if you go into some of these big box retail stores, you know, they cannot have specific sections for just women and men anymore, or I'm sorry, girls and boys. They have to have a joint section of toys and of clothes and of all the shit that are gender neutral, even though this just, again, is effectively idiotic. So they're doing a lot in that regard and insofar as trying to brainwash kids, get them in here and push forward this kind of authoritarian way of thinking where they'll punish you if you do not go along with the wokeness. Now, you can shop other places, but they're trying to coerce you into thinking their way and making it very difficult for you to live otherwise. Yeah. So it's kind of this overarching trend of California in, insofar as who's in charge. But I'm sure you saw what happened in Virginia, and education was at the forefront of that. Not just about CRT, but also in regards to masking and distance learning, too. Right. So there's there's some vulnerability there. Yeah, there, there might be a little bit of hope there. Who knows? Um, it, it you you had brought up the fact that none of this has really gone into effect yet, but I did see that a lot of schools are getting in front of Gavin Newsom. They're like, "Hey, most of the schools are taking it a step further than Gavin Newsom." And I've noticed this trend with not only Gavin Newsom but also like President Biden. And when he came out and said, "You know what? We're gonna we're going to require everybody." Based on OSHA, every every company that has 100 employees or more, they're going to have to get vaccinated or get tested. Before any laws were even implemented or anything signed in the books, a lot of companies started laying people off and yeah. like threatening them and stuff. And it's just like they don't even have to sign the laws in the books. People are just rolling over on this shit and just be like, all right, that's fine. I mean, you want to have this this level of authority? We're just going to bow down to that regardless of what laws are even in effect. And I saw that with Biden. I thought it was really bizarre when I when I started seeing, hey, so such and such place said that their last day for you, the unvaccinated to work is this day. I'm like, the law hasn't even been fucking signed into effect yet. And then I see the same thing that they're actually bragging about in California. The schools are getting ahead of Gavin Newsom on this, and oh, they they're already yeah. requiring these things. And like, what do you say to that when when people are just rolling over on these authoritarian moves like this without even laws being put into effect? 
Well, I feel like it's one of those situations where most school boards, especially California, are going to be dominated by left-wing honks, you know, just the worst of the worst progressive assholes. So it's not surprising for me to see that. You know, it's you have a, a tools of the union that are in there. Their masters are the Democrats, right? They always have been, especially in California, especially with Joe Biden. You have Joe Biden, one of his largest sources of funding, their you know, lobbying, everything else, support. Why is my camera going out of focus? That's annoying. Um, it's it's Democratic, you know, school unions. So naturally, they're going to be the first people at the drop of the hat to jump on this. Now, broader companies in general. I don't know. I mean, compared to OSHA, I, I, I am confused by that as you are. I don't know why, if you're a mega corporation, you would jump on this and mandate this and risk losing some of your workforce. Thank God, you know, United Airlines and or American Airlines and Southwest are being bitten in the fucking ass with this tangibly mm. because those are the issues. And with the supply lanes, too, or the supply chains, too. You know, these are things that do matter. These are things that, fortunately, as, as hard as it's going to be, that pain of being fucked and not being able to get the products you need, having store shelves empty, not being able to fly to the destinations you're supposed to go to. These are, th- these are industries which normal people are going to be affected. And so often in this country, we're not affected by shit. You know, we, we, have, we live a very privileged environment where somebody might feel personal pain by losing their job over a vaccine mandate. But now we're all feeling the pain with these fucking companies making these idiotic moves to try to kowtow to Biden, to try to look woke, to try to, to seem as though they're doing the right thing, right, by, mm-hmm. uh, by assuring the safety of their workforce. And in the meantime, you know, you've got these people that are losing their jobs in mass, but fortunately it's going to affect everybody. And, you know, in regards to these, the children and the vaccinations there, I mean, you know, get Newsom, like you said, he wanted to get children as young as five vaccinated. He wants to push this through. I think it will be held up. I don't think he's going to be able to get that passed. But, um, you know, you're seeing the dangers of, of parents pushing back. You know, you are seeing in California alone, uh, to go back to the education thing, I think like 25,000 people, 25,000 children were pulled out of the California education system over the past year. That, oh, actually, wow. I think that might just be LAUSD. Yeah. So you're seeing a massive movement of people pushing back and be like, fuck this shit. We're not taking more, especially when it comes to a touch point for the children and basic needs for your family. So these people have by far pushed too far. They've overstepped their boundaries and they've made they've, they've made every decision wrong across this course of this entire COVID pandemic. And California and Virginia, I guess, um, are going to be a real proving ground for that backlash. And I think you're going to see it come out in our way. And I think people are getting white-pilled to a large extent by this because they're seeing through, they're seeing how much they're being lied to. They're seeing how deep this manipulation goes and that it doesn't matter what the COVID rates are. These people are just pushing and pushing and pushing because it's not about COVID. It's simply about authoritarianism. Yeah. Um, I know you're getting close to being out of time. Um, you, you'd mentioned. Yeah, and apologies. It's just I, I got I got kid dinner. I can hear my, my kid yelling in the next room. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's it's no like problem. Late, it's like just during dinner time here on the West Coast. Um, you did mention a lot about the unions and how they're a cause of the problem. And I, I have some information I'm going to in the second half of the show because we do a two hour show. So um, I'll be running it solo. I, I have some information that I had found about how the unions kind of single handedly effectively destroyed California because back in the fifties and sixties, it was, it was a pretty free, like private property was respected, all that stuff. And then the unions came in in the seventies and it wasn't just corporate unions. It was government unions, which are worse because they don't have to uh, negotiate with managers. They negotiate with the politicians that they put in place in the first place. And then they 
basically own the politicians, and then the politicians make laws on their behalf. So um, I, I had a good lengthy article about that and about uh, the corporate socialism of California, but don't have time to get into that with you, so I, I, I don't want to take up too much time with that. I just found it interesting that you brought up unions several times in this and how they, mm-hmm. they were effectively a big problem in the in the state. So um, that'll tie in well with my second half. Um, I guess my last major question about California is, where the fuck is Gavin Newsom at right now? I honestly think, you know, they're saying it's a quote-unquote family matter. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe it is because his family is all there, you know, saying their last rights over his body, which is probably racked with COVID his double vaccinated body, either that or let's float this out there. COVID, what an interesting reason to be out of a uh, mainstream site, right? Yeah. Jen Saki also missing for about 10 days. Really? I'm going to go on record and saying there, oh yeah, she's been missing for 10 days also with COVID. I'm going to go on record and say that uh, Jen Saki and Gavin Newsom are off in some fuck bunker, maybe at French Laundry, the most expensive restaurant in California, as he went earlier when he was yes. a hypocrite and didn't follow his own distance rules. Yeah. I'm saying they're banging on a table at French Laundry in a back room right now and have been having sex for the last eight to 10 days under the auspices of COVID. <laughs> and maybe they both have COVID and they've always wanted to fuck. And this is their last chance That's to probably get it, it done before they both heal over. Because as we know, the vaccine lowers your resistance to the Delta variant. Well, there you go. <laughs> the, the last public thing he, <laughs> the last pub, public thing he was at was his vaccination. He was publicly vaccinated and then disappeared off the map for like 14 yeah, days. And then. Yep. The booster, uh, man. Yep. Don't get the boost. Yeah. Apparently not. He, he canceled UN trips. He canceled a bunch of stuff. And his wife even came out and post like went on this bitch fest on Twitter and said, Hey, uh, stop with all the hate on this. Stop, uh, making all these assumptions. She's probably pissed because she knows he's out there fucking Jen Psaki on in some bunker somewhere. So, I mean, obviously she'd be pissed about that. So, um, I'm going to go with your theory on this. I like it. (laughs) So, um, although wouldn't it be great though, if it was, yo, uh, Gavin Newsom is Nancy Pelosi's nephew. Which a lot of people don't realize this piece of shit guy, it's all nepotism from start to finish with Gavin Newsom. Really? Uh, he so is maybe, her nephew. I, oh, yeah. I did yep. not know this. Yep. 100%. He's, he is her nephew. Um, and uh, I haven't seen, I haven't been paying attention to Nancy Pelosi because I've, I've been out of, out of country for a week and I couldn't get internet access because it's all the same fucking free wave government provided bullshit in Vienna, which I'll talk about on Electric Liberty Land this week and how. That's what happens. I couldn't get online and there were no alternatives because everybody is the same government provided bullshit. It's but um, I haven't seen if uh, if Nancy Pelosi's around. I'm guessing she is, but it would be funny if uh, the family issue was they're both dying. That that would be quite interesting. Yeah. That is what, a theory. What a coup. Yeah, that's a theory that I would love to entertain, that idea. So not saying I want people to die, but if anybody's going to die of this, it might as no. well be the fucking hypocrites that um, put all these authoritarian, draconian laws on us, and then they're out at salons or out at, like you said, these big fancy dinners with no masks. While they're talking out their ass saying how dangerous of a fucking thing this is, and people are dying, and, and we're scared to death of it, clearly you don't believe this shit if you are out in the public doing the things you're telling people not to do so if anybody's going to die from this it might as well be um those those clowns there because that would be straight like uh what what's that edgar Allan poe book the the mask of the red death where they're all like hiding in their Mm -hmm. own like little um um castle or whatever having this big party trying to avoid 
what the peasants and the serfs are down dying of, and then they all effectively die of it themselves because of their hypocrisy. So um, that's where I see this going. So, uh, Brian, I'm going to get you out of here so you can enjoy your family dinner. Let us know where we can find out more about you. Well, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Brian with an I, McWilliams, Brian McWilliams on Twitter. Um, if you want to follow Lions of Liberty, we have Instagram. We have Twitter, just at Lions of Liberty on both. And, of course, you can also follow The Boring Podcast. It is a hilarious show. You will love it. It's with me, Howie Snowden, the godfather of Lions of Liberty, John Odermatt, and Rico, our legal man of mystery. And that's a weekly show that we do. That's boring, B-O-H-R-I-N-G on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, et cetera. And I highly encourage people to listen to the Lions of Liberty podcast, subscribe to our YouTube and that channel because I just dropped my libertarian superhero show, Do Nothing Man, last week. So the latest episode of that is out. Nice. And he's also on Facebook and Twitter and uh, YouTube and all that shit. So there you have it, man. Good. That's them's all the places. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to come on our show and uh, just talk about this horrible, horrible state. Do you recommend, last question, I promise, do you recommend anybody move to California? Do you recommend, um, is it, do you advise, recommend, (laughs) recommend it to friends and family? Yes or no? Uh, No, not right now. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Well, I would, I would, like I said, I probably wouldn't be here if I wasn't, uh, if I wasn't (laughs) stuck here right now, but you know, look, it's a beautiful place. It's got a lot going for it if you can just get government the fuck out of the way. But that can be said of a lot of places. Yeah. And uh, yeah, right now with the taxes, with the homeowning prices, with the rabid homeless fucking hordes, which Gavin Newsom just recently, he did, we have 60,000 homeless people. You can't get them off your fucking lawn. You can't get the police to take them away. They're they're rabid. They're Half of them are completely psychotic. You can't do anything about them. Wow. Right? But Gavin Newsom just loosely said that we welcome any and all homeless people to come to California Great. And, uh, and start their lives. So, yeah, don't come. It's just going to be you and a caravan of homeless. I don't recommend it. Well, I, I did like your answer that um, you kind of feel that somebody needs to stick around to fight the fight and actually um, stand up for some of these things that are so quickly being just rolled over on and given up. So I am glad that there are some a few people like you still there in California, trying to maintain some kind of freedom there. Um, yeah. And I'll give Angela McArdle. Angela McArdle is, uh, she's head of the Libertarian Party in LA County, and she's just doing an awesome job. Um, great, you know, great legal mind, and uh, really has done a good job pushing back and, and really rallying people to uh, fight back against the worst of the worst here, at least in Los Angeles. So, yeah, she's doing a wonderful job, too. Well, that's awesome. Um Again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for taking some time. I'm going to let you go enjoy your dinner. Uh, have a great a pleasure. Rest of your time. Sorry, I, sorry, I don't have the full. Usually, I would have the full two hours for you, but between the jet lag and uh, the, the kid, which I have not been here for the full week to help with the kids, so that's the other reason I, I gotta go. <laughs> no, I don't no need to wake up with a knife in my chest. I understand. I have two kids of my own, and they're usually texting me by the end of it. When are you coming upstairs? Uh, just just yeah. a few more minutes, so uh, I'll get you out of here. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you, sir. Bye, Craig. All right. Bye. That was Brian McWilliams of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Um, Once again, we've had his partners in crime on a a couple of times. Let me kick him out of here. Uh, We've had his partners in crime. That's Mark Clare and John Odermatt on. I've had John on a few times. I've had Mark on once. So it, it just was natural to have eventually get Brian on the show. And 
it just intrigued me seeing some of his Twitter posts and stuff about living there in California. And so it, it just gets my wheels turning when I hear that some of these prominent libertarian, vocal libertarian people decide to punish themselves by <laughs> continuing to remain there in the, the horrible state of California, which, like I, I started to say, and I didn't have time to keep him on to talk about it more, um, some things that seem to have intentionally destroyed this this great state, what started out as this great, pretty freedom-loving state, um, and that was the unions, their rise to power, being like the, the government unions, and then this whole push towards corporate socialism, which I'm going to get into in the second half. I'm going to talk a little bit about this corporate corporate socialism. I've got this one article that I'm going to breeze through some. Actually, I got two articles, I think, that I'm going to cover, but they're they're pretty lengthy and pretty in-depth, so I'm going to breeze through a, a, a bit of it and talk about corporate socialism and the, the public sector unions and how California is kind of ran, and then I'll post the links to these articles so you can get a better in-depth read of it if you desire to, because I don't have time to read some of the, the entire articles. So um, I'm going to get into a break real quick. Once again, that was Brian McWilliams of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Check him out over at the Lions of Liberty or check out the Boring Podcast. That's B-O-H-R-I-N-G podcast, not boring like we're bored, boring. So um, check all his stuff out. He's doing a great job over there. He's, like he said, fighting for... Uh, fighting for liberty there in a state where it is very difficult to come across liberty. So I, I am up for a break right now, so I'm going to get into that real quick. Take a couple minutes. I'm going to get myself something to drink. When I come back, I'm going to just talk a little bit more about California, talk a little bit about this idea of corporate socialism, because to me, corporate socialism seems like a facade of socialism. It's the, the elites, the powers that be, are pushing this idea of socialism on the, the, le- the less fortunate, like the, the lower class, the middle class, mostly the lower class, and promising them all this shit, uh, making it look like socialism, which we all know real socialism in its truest form is communism, where there, nobody owns property, everybody just enjoys life and uh, shares everything and lives in a community and everything is just owned by the public, basically. Corporate socialism is quite the opposite of communism. And so if you say that California is a communist state, you're 100% wrong because it's not at all. It is a corporate socialist state, and it's becoming even worse than um, anything we could imagine. And I feel that this is intentional, and I feel this is their... It's kind of their trial state for what they want for the rest of the country and p- probably the rest of the world. We talk about the Great Reset a lot. Uh, we tie a lot of events back to the Great Reset. And so I'm going to tie this back to the Great Reset because because I can and I like to. And it's there. The, the connections are there. I'm not the only one making these connections. The article I'm going to read is making these connections. So um, this is kind of, like I said, the model state for or at least becoming the model state for what they want the rest of the world to become this whole corporate socialist environment where uh, corporations partnered with government basically rule everything. And the rest of us are just supposed to live this socialist life where we don't own anything. And the corporations and the government together own absolute 
absolutely everything. And me and Bill talk about this a lot. We predict it a lot. This is where we think Facebook is going, that they're making, even though they're getting their, their dick slapped, they're getting uh, um, ostracized by the government right now because of these whistleblowers. We feel like this is just a kind of a, uh, a facade to, uh, so they can come out at some point and be like, hey, uh, we're sorry for everything we did. We've decided to partner up with the government and do things differently. And henceforth comes corporate socialism when the, the biggest billionaire corporations tag team in with, with the government and then they together control our lives and control everything and control the resources for the, for the good of humanity, for the good of e equity and the good of climate change. Uh, we have to do this for you because you can't do this on your own, but we want you guys to live in equality and we want you to live this uh, socialist lifestyle. So uh, I'm going to get into that, like I said, when I get back from break. So don't go anywhere. Make sure you leave a comment. I, I didn't have the the phone line open for while Brian was talking because I knew I only had like 45 minutes with him so I didn't want to take away too much time from him I will open up the phone lines if you guys do want to call in and give any of your opinions on all of this if you are in California which I know some of you are and you've experienced some of this or or <laughs> you have some opinions if you want to argue back with some of the things that Brian said um, call in let us know. Otherwise, the comment section's always open, so leave your comments. Going to get into this break right now, and give me two or three minutes, and we're going to come back and keep the shit rolling. So I'll see you in just a couple minutes. Goodbye. Have you ever thought that maybe voting, maybe all this politics constantly surrounding you is not the way to achieve freedom in your life? Hi, I'm Remso W. Martinez, and I ask myself the same question. That's why I'm on a journey to find true freedom in my lifetime. From learning about financial independence, to new ways to develop rugged individualism, to amazing guests living strange, crazy, amazing lifestyles that you've only thought might be real, but actually are. Go ahead and check out my new show, On the Run with Remso W. Martinez, at the We Are Libertarians Network. You can find On the Run with Remster W. Martinez on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. You know how the internet works. Come on down and let's discover how to achieve real freedom in your life together. Hey, everybody. I just want to take this time to give a big shout out to the very first sponsor of the Break the Bell podcast. That is Goulash Media. They can be found at goulashmedia.net. Uh, Goulash Media specializes in graphic design, web design, audio recordings, video work, wedding videos, uh, music videos, even political campaign videos. Uh, Goulash Me Media caters to the little guy with the big vision. You can check them out at goulashmedia.net. That's G-O-U-L-A-S-H media.net. back once again i just got done with a good conversation with brian mcwilliams of the lines of liberty podcast uh if you missed it go back and listen to that uh the the show will be released in format 
in podcast format. Wow, I can't talk. Um, podcast format uh, all over the podcast platforms on Wednesday morning as usual. Uh, so if you missed anything, you can go back and listen to it. Otherwise, um, this video will be left up available, and if and it will be re-released again on Wednesday. So uh, go back and listen to that that episode with him or that interview with with Brian McWilliams because it was really good. Got into some stuff about California, which I'm sure a lot of you people know about the atrocities of California. So, um, but just being able to talk to somebody that's lived in that and experienced that, it was just nice to pick his brain a little bit. And um, I, I feel like we barely got to scratch the surface, which is fine. I'm going to have to have him back on the show again sometime just to dig a little deeper in that. I'm going going to be doing some deeper digging into California and some of the socialist policies and where they came from and stuff. So uh, here in just a couple minutes. So don't worry if you you feel like you wanted to get a little more information on what's going on or where this is coming from. That's what I'm here for. So um, going to open the phone lines. Let me kill this music real quick. I am going to open the phone lines up. So if you have any questions or comments, you can call in. Um, give me just like 30 seconds to have that pulled up. As always, the uh, the phone number to call is at the bottom of the screen, 712-320-8289. Uh, call in if you have anything to say about California, you have anything to say about uh, what's going on over there or, or your experiences of it. Call in and let me know. The phone line's open. It will be the rest of this episode. So um, I want to hear from you. Let's see in the comments. Tio Jacobson says, it's nighttime here in Norway, but you keep me up. Tio, it is awesome to have you on. It's awesome to still have you listening. Um, it, it's great to uh, be able to reach to people from other countries because we typically focus on a lot of times what's going on over here in the United States. And it's interesting to hear people's perspectives. I've talked to you personally a, a couple times on uh, the different things that are going on there in Norway. So it, it's great to... Uh, get the perspective of other people um, across the globe, because this stuff affects everybody. I mean, this isn't just isolated to the United States. There's policies that um, we're bitching about here that have been going on in, in Europe for for years now. So um, it, it's not like this is just isolated here to the United States. Um, everybody deserves to be have so, some sort of... Um, freedom from all this this totalitarian agenda, this uh, authoritarian agenda. And it is, in my opinion, it is a global-wide agenda to um, to basically consolidate all the, the global powers, all the, the resources, and put them in the hands of the, the richest people. So um, keep listening, Tio. It's always good to have you on, like I said. I'm going to get into this article here. Let me pull it up real quick. This article is from California Policy Center. So this one's talking a little bit about this. Let me get the, my stuff's not moving properly. It's titled, How California Embraced Corporate Socialism. Again, I, I explained a little bit in the, before I went to break, that corporate socialism is not real socialism. It's not what you think of as communism. Everybody lumps communism and socialism together. 
we don't either want either one of them there. We believe that your individual right trumps that of the collective. And if we give up those individual rights, then the collective doesn't really even exist. So if we're sacrificing individual rights for the collective, um, we're just sacrificing everything because everything uh, surrounds, all your freedoms surround on your individual, your personal liberties. So um, when they, they come at you and they say, hey, uh, just give up a little bit of your rights, a little bit of your freedoms for the safety of the, of the community or the, for the good of the whole, um, we, we've quoted that Benjamin Franklin quote a couple times where I'm, I'm going to butcher this. I know it. If, uh, if you give up your personal, it's basically if you give up your, if you choose to give up personal freedom in the name of public safety, then you deserve neither is basically what it says. So, um, like I said, I just butchered that, but that's okay. So I'm going to pull up this article here about how California embraced corporate socialism. And we'll get a little bit better of an idea of how California became the shithole that it is right now. And Brian mentioned a lot of how much of a, how bad it is over there. He talked about how there's homeless people just all over the lawns, all over, all over the parks. We, I mean, we have empathy for homeless people, but there's got to be I mean, there's there's got to be something there, and when you leave it to government, clearly it's not working. If San Francisco has this problem where homeless people just shit on the side of the roads, and there's 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 crap just everywhere, and that's because we leave it up to the government to take care of our problems, and clearly it's not working. So let me pull up this article. Like I said, I keep saying. <clears throat> like I said, this is titled How California Embraced Socialism, or Corporate Socialism. Starts out, it says, Gavin Newsom, the lily-white, urbane, coiffured scion of San Francisco's posh royalty, is California's highest-ranking Democrat. I love that sentence there, talking about Gavin Newsom and his posh royalty. I did not have a freaking clue that Gavin Newsom is Nancy Pelosi's nephew. No clue. Brian brought that up in the in the first half, right before the break. Absolutely no clue clue about this. I'm going to have to dig into that further because I could see some issues there and I can see some connections there that I didn't even know existed. So I'm going to have to dig further into that. But it talks again, like I said, Gavin Newsom and his posh royalty. And we saw this. Brian mentioned it. We mentioned it a couple times. Gavin Newsom thinking he is above the people of California, like he sits way up here and the people sit way down here. He's come out and said, we don't expect you people to understand this. So that's why we make this stuff. <laughs> we make these laws for you because you don't understand it. Like there is no way your stupid minds could physically understand any of this, this stuff. So, so we got it. We have to do it for you. We have to spoon feed you. We have to hold your hands and, and make these laws for your benefit, for your safety, because you you don't understand how to maintain your own safety. And this is a deadly disease. This is a deadly virus that is killing people. We must implement these social distancing uh, guidelines, these lockdown procedures. We must implement these mask procedures. But I'm not going to do that. 
I, I, I ain't gonna, I'm above that. I'm going to go to my fancy dinner party. I'm going to not wear a mask. It's going to be inside. I, we're not going to be social distancing. I don't have to do that. We've, met, we've talked about this several times on the show. Clearly, either A, he doesn't believe the shit that he's saying. He doesn't believe that this coronavirus is as deadly as he's saying it is and all these all these things all these restrictions and these implementations these mask laws and shit are necessary to save you from this this virus one a he doesn't believe that or b he thinks he's god and he's immune to everything just like i was talking about that uh story Ed, edgar allan poe story the mask of the red death where they thought because of their eliteness, they could all gather in this castle, separate themselves from society, be completely isolated from them, but and this Red Death would not affect them, and then they all effectively just died on the spot. The Red Death found its way in. Um, it's personified in the, in the story. Go read that story, because this I've always compared this story, Mask of the Red Death, to what Gavin Newsom did here when he went to this freaking... Um, high-class dinner party while he's on the other side telling his all the people underneath him that they must do this, they must stay home, they must mask up and all this stuff. So he sees himself as better than you. You are so far beneath him, and he proves it every step of the way. How this man made it through the recall blows my mind. I'm glad People did stand up during all this and did say, hey, you know, we are tired of this shit and did get the the amount of signatures for this recall vote. But for some reason, this guy maintained his position. And now that he's not scared of being recalled, now that he got past this, I want to know how much worse he's going to be, how much more uh, power grab it's going to be. Is it going to be like, oh, shit, you thought it was bad before. Wait till you see me now. I survived this recall election, so wait to see what I got in store for you now. I mean, we, I, I talked about it. I talked about uh, with Brian about how he has come out to the, be the first to implement uh, vaccine mandates for the schools. He's coming out and um, proposing mandate like vaccine card mandates for going public places. So um, I think he's just going to continue to retain more and more power. So back to this article, it says, uh, one would think that the party of Gad Gavin Newsom is bent on destroying everything Gavin Newsom represents. So what's going on? And it talks about corporate socialism, and that's what I want to, to discuss here. It says, Cor corporate socialism in California today is a marriage of convenience between, on one hand, monopolistic corporations and the oligarchy. Garkey they've spawned, and on the other, a seething coalition of progressive socialists with an agenda that is best described as self-contradictory mixture of nihilism and idealism. What California's cor corporate socialists have done is concoct a profitable interpretation of this agenda, implementing those elements that will aggrandize them and paying lip service to the rest. There are ample examples of this practice, and it goes on into a bunch of these examples. <clears throat> So basically what it's saying is they've taken on this lip service, this talking equity, talking um, socialist policies, these um, environmentalist policies, these 
like shrinking the pay gap policies, all all these socialist policies. It's all lip service. And on the other hand, the government elites, the corporate elites, whoever it is, this, this partnership, they've done whatever they can to implement these to what it calls aggrandize themselves, like prop themselves up, make themselves more powerful. And that's exactly what they're doing. It says, to ensure diversity, an amazing lucrative profession has emerged, embodied diversity, equity, and inclusion departments inside every institution of higher education as well as em embedded in human resources department of every mo major corporation. Okay, so this is a bunch of examples of what they're talking about. I'm going to scroll down to what it's when it actually is talking about California here. Because it talks about California before and after the rise of the public sector unions. And I brought that up with Brian, brought up the difference between public sector unions and corporate, corporate unions. And I'm going to get into, explain that a little bit more as this article goes. It says, it's ironic that California in the 1950s and 1960s offered a good example of a state government that respected property rights and nurtured competitive businesses, yet engaged in massive public investment in those areas where it was not possible to make competitive affection or effective. Competition effective. Holy shit, I can't read. During the Golden Age, barely 20 years in duration in partnership with federal government, the state of California built the most comprehensive network of water conveyances in the world. At the same time, they built the finest system of public colleges and universities in the world, and they built freeways and expressways that enabled urbanization and affordable market housing. So back in the 50s and 60s, it was looking great. They built up these colleges that are known to be some of the best education systems in the world. Like people tried to get into California co colleges. The West Coast colleges um, are some of the top-notch top colleges. They also built up this major uh, roadway system, freeway system. Uh, they built up this water si conservation system because California is mostly desert. So uh, they built up a bunch of stuff that made California actually a pretty pretty flourishing place. It says, in those days, a middle-class family could expect to own their home, travel on uncongested roads, and pay college tuition for their children. Today, none of that is possible. What happened? We all know California is by far the most expensive place to live in the world. It's very rare to see middle-class families there owning homes because of how expensive it is. The roads are a nightmare to navigate. Everything has just completely gone to shit. So it, it's so the question is what it's asking. What happened? It says, by the end of the 1970s, nearly all of California's state and local government agencies had become unionized. And these unions became increasingly aggressive, pushing their agenda, which was to grow government in order to collect more union dues, acquire more power and influence, like any organization, government unions sought to aggrandize themselves. So the whole point of the union was to make things better for the workers, supposedly. Apparently, from what this article is saying, is these government unions, these public sector unions, were more about putting the right people in place, in power, to give them more power to collect more union dues to push their agenda to gain more power you see this vicious cycle here it's it's a power grab from the unions it's not about hey let's make this better for the worker the working class 
Otherwise, it wouldn't be so damn hard for a middle-class person to live in California. It's more about gaining power and influence as a union. So it talks about the difference between the private sector and the public sector unions. And there's there's a couple of key differences here that, that is what makes um, pri- uh, public sector unions so much more dangerous and so much worse for the economy, for the state as a whole, everything in California or anywhere that these public sector unions have so much power. It says the problem, of course, was the government does not operate in a competitive environment. Capitalism works because of competition. Capitalism works because you have the freedom to uh, open up a gas station across the street from another gas station and compete, and that drives down prices, and that drives up efficiency. That's why capitalism works. Government doesn't have competition, so government unions don't have that same competition. It says government unions collect money through dues withheld from government paychecks. Public sector unions do not negotiate with management accountable to shareholders, but instead with politicians whom they help elect and therefore are accountable to the unions. So if you don't know much about unions, the unions are kind of the middleman for, as far as corporate unions, the middleman for the labor. And they negotiate with management. And they negotiate your pay. They negotiate the... um, like your vacation days and all these benefits, like your medical, your health, and all these things. They are in direct um, back and forth, direct uh, negotiations with management. Management only works, like management of a corporation are typically, like big corporations, they're t- they typically have a stake in the company. So if the company fails, management takes a major hit from this. So obviously they're going to negotiate in a way that keeps the company viable, keeps the company running, because if the company doesn't run, they lose a lot of fucking money. The difference with public sector unions is that they are not negotiating with management that has a a private stakehold in the company. They are negotiating with politicians. And the difference is politicians are put in place usually by union money. Unions uh, support politicians all the time, so they put these politicians in place, and then they negotiate with these politicians that already owe them a favor. So that's the difference, is the politician owns them a favor. Management doesn't owe them a favor. Management is just trying to keep the company afloat. Politicians owe them a favor. They're in their checkbook now. So when... It comes time for the union members to negotiate. They can look at them and be like, hey, uh, you remember that thing I did where I got you elected? Yeah, um, I'm going to need you to do this. I'm going to need you to boost our pay to this because, remember, you owe me. You owe me a favor here. It says, moreover, politicians, unlike corporate executives, typically occupy their offices for a shorter period of time. And politicians, unlike corporate executives, don't own shares, like I said, that might be devalued after they leave office due to decisions they made while in office. So politicians in office for a short period of time, a couple years, four years, ten years, who knows. They leave office, their 
choices that they made in office do not affect their financial situation outside of office, unless they made some kind of shady deal where they're going to go work for like Lockheed and Martin or something like that after, and um, or be a lobbyist after. Um, but directly, their decisions in office don't affect their financial situation when they get out. Same, or on the flip side with management, the choices they make while they're the CEO or whatever office position at the corporation will directly affect their retirement, their, their, um, their, their shares when they get out, when they, when they leave that position. Says, <clears throat> excuse me, not only are politicians far more accountable to the unions they negotiate with than to people they serve, but the consequences of giving in to the outrageous demands from public sector unions are much less immediate and personal for the politicians. When corporate executives give in to union demands that are unsustainable, the corporation goes out of business. Union negotiators know this, and in private sector, the possibility of business failure tempers their demands. So they, the unions realize they can only demand so much in the private sector because if the business fails, then they have no money, and they're just fucked altogether. But they know the, the government's not going to go out of business. It says survival of government agencies doesn't depend on efficiently competing in a market economy where consumers voluntarily choose to purchase their product or service. That says it all right there. There is, there's not that competition. The government has no competition. It says government agencies incur expenses that exceed revenues. They just raise revenues by increasing taxes. Consumers have no choice but to pay higher taxes or go to jail. So that's basically the difference between corporate unions and and uh, public sector unions. And the, the, the problem with California politics is California is ran by these public sector unions. These – even the – like we talked about the supply chain and how the unions were what was keeping – uh, the the docks from ru running 24-7 because the unions have their policies of um, only running 8 to 10 hours or whatever it was for two shifts or however long it was. So they had to really fight tooth and nail to get the unions to um, decide, hey, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and allow you to run 24-7. That's a public sector union, somebody that put a politician into place through union financing, through union backing – and then when the time comes, they come around, and the piper has to be paid. So let's talk about this corporate socialism. Corporate socialism is, like I, like I said a little bit in the first half, corporate socialism is completely different from what you think of socialism. Everybody lumps socialism and communism together. They are not at all the same thing. Because communism, nobody owns anything. In corporate socialism, the government and corporations collectively together basically own everything and distribute it as they see fit. And this is the climate of California's policies, this, this corporate socialism. So I'm going to continue reading here. It says, every era has its unique brand of collectivism. And California in the 21st century will not offer exact analogs to socialist regimes a century ago in Europe, nor should it. 
California is not a brutal totalitarian regime yet. I mean, I, I'm not going to put it past them that they will become a brutal totalitarian regime once some of these vaccine policies go into effect, once people start losing their job and start uh, going on strike or start protesting and things get really nutty really fast when people start needing food to survive. I could see them becoming a brutal totalitarian regime really fast. But it says, for right now, California is not a brutal totalitarian regime. Nor has California's economy come anywhere close to that most extreme version of socialism, communism, where the state owns all the property. <clears throat> Instead, California is run by an olig oligarchy. <clears throat> Gosh, I got shit in my throat. Working in partnership with legislature that is controlled by a handful of powerful government employee unions. There's the, the public sector unions there. So it's a partnership of legislature or the, the people that make the laws and a partnership with employee, like government employee unions. These oligarchs and their counterparts, the union leaders, form a de facto politburo. The most accurate way to describe the political economy of California would be corporate socialism. A more vivid and equally accurate description would be feudalism. This I found extremely interesting here. They're comparing corporate socialism not to communism. They're comparing corporate socialism to feudalism. You know, the government structure that communism fought to overpower. So... It's like we're regressing. So this this progressive movement, these progressive elitists, you get like the Bill Gateses, the the Mark Zuckerbergs out there, all these woke corporate leaders that want to push this progressive agenda towards this uh, more equitable socialist way of life. When in reality, it's regressing back to what the communists fought for in Russia and anywhere that. There was communist uprisings and um, communist revolutions. They were fighting feudalism. Feudalism is where you got the arist aristocrats at the top, and you have like the caste system. So, and you can only do so much or own so much based on what position you were in the caste system. There's the aristocrats, there was like the knights, there was the next level down, and then at the very bottom would be the serfs, and they own nothing. They are given a certain amount of food. They're basically told how to live their freaking life. And nothing can change that because they're just a goddamn serf. And they're not part of this higher society that gets to make these decisions for them. But that's but they're they're not smart enough, obviously, to make these decisions for them. That's the way uh Gavin Newsom sees the the serfs, I guess you could call them, of California. So this explains why corporate socialism in California is feudalism. California is a feudal estate. It says, if one were to examine the concept of California as a feudal state, all the pieces would be identifiable. The aristocracy, aristocracy, I have a hard time pronouncing words tonight. I am tired. Aristocracy, aristocracy, there you go. Holy shit. Are the wealthy billionaires and the titans of the high-tech industry. So... We're talking your Bill Gates, your Zuckerbergs, all the the um, Silicon Valley titans, all the uh, Jeff Bezos is out there. Is he in California still? 
all these wealthy billionaires, they're the aristocracy. The knights are the next level down, and the nobles are the public employees. Public employees are the people that fall under the public sector unions, the ones that the unions call back their favors from the politicians and get these exorbitant benefits for the public sector employees. They get these ridiculous uh, vacation time and all this shit. This, they're, they're way above the non-union, non-government employees. So they are considered the knights and the nobles, the, the people that are in, like connected to or benefit from these public sector unions. The clerisy are the academics and the nonprofit activists. So all the people that are in the schools and in the colleges telling your your children about how shitty the American way of life is, all the people that are um, running these activists, these nonprofit activist uh, groups, these organizations that uh, are not shy about saying how much they want to bring down the form of government that we have, how they want to uh, do away with capitalism, how they want to bring bring in this more socialist way of life. I mean, we know it. We see it in the in the college coming out of the colleges all the time. We saw it with uh, the um, oh shit, what was it? The Occupy movement over on the West Coast in the colleges that came straight out of the colleges. So those are the next level down are the clerisies. Everyone else would be the serfs. The serfs would either be members of California's dwindling middle class and small business owners paying crippling ties to the feudal regime, or they would be the lower class and the unemployed who would rely on the alms from the nobles for their sustenance. Says all other metaphors work as well. To use Soviet metaphors instead of feudal metaphors, the aristocracy becomes the Politburo, the nobles become the nomenclatura. I'm not going to read all that shit because it's a lot of Russian that I can't even pronounce. But you get the point. It even compares them to the Nazis, which I'm not going to get into that because there's too much Nazism going around. Too many things are compared to Nazis. I, I see the point they're making, but I like this feudalism point better because it's so ironic that we're pushing towards this socialist agenda. But the form of socialism that is actually being peddled out of the government, out in, into states like California that embrace this, embrace this wokeism, embrace this uh, progressive agenda, they're, they don't realize that they are being bullshit lied to. They don't understand that this progressiveness is actually a regression back to feudalism where a small handful of people own everything and have all the power and all the resources, and they get to tell you that you need you are living off too much. You are living off, um, like, you shouldn't need to have air conditioning in your house. That's a luxury. You, you're living a too luxurious lifestyle. And you see this across the globe. You see this in uh, the things like the... Uh, the World Economic Forum, obviously we got to tie it to that, or like the G20 summits, all these summits where all these, not only the world leaders, but also like a bunch of corporate interests or NGOs or all these <laughs> elitists, 
for for lack of better words, they they all get together and they say how badly we are destroying this world, how badly um, we are wrecking the climate, while their black SUV is sitting out in the parking lot running to keep warm. The engine's running or whatever, uh, just burning up the carbon dioxide. Uh, hundreds of them flew in on private jets, which, how does that, I mean, how how do you go to a climate summit and talk about the the changes we need to to make to save our globe while you're flying in on your fucking private jets? That just tells me that they think they are way up here and we are way down here, and it's not about the changes that everyone needs to make. It's about putting us down here all on this this playing field where we think that we have to give up all this stuff all these rights because we're we're the problem when in reality the top 10% of the wealthiest people make up probably i think it was like 60 to 70% of the carbon pollution in our entire globe but they want to make policies for us saying how we got to live off bugs. We got to eat bugs. We got to um, smash ourselves into into cities because um, it's for the better of the environment. It's to save the world. It's also for equity. It's to uh, keep everybody to close that pay gap and keep everybody on the same playing field. There is no same playing field. There's no same level. There is two levels. There's them and there is us, and they want to keep us down here, and they want to keep them up here. That's why they were so excited to see all these small businesses shut down because that's just, as Brian was talking about, they just, the the major corporations just go up and buy it for pennies on the dollar, and they just gain more share in the market, gain more share in the market, and eventually it gets to a point where there is no more competition. See if I got anything else in this article to read. My mouse just died. So otherwise I got I, I got a little bit more in another article. So this one talks this also talks about the consequences of corporate socialism. It says as California's aristocracy has consolidated its power, uh, an epic transfer of wealth has occurred. We saw that with COVID-19. We saw all these places shutting down, and there was this huge transfer of wealth to the top billionaires. Like, Amazon was on course to be the first, like, trillion-dollar company in the world, and we know Amazon benefited greatly from the lockdowns. It says corporate monopolies, financial intermediaries, wealthy individuals, public sector treasuries, and public employee pension funds have all become spectacularly endowed. You know, the night level, the aristocracy level that I talked about. At the same time, at the other extreme, California has become a magnet for welfare recipients and economic refugees from around the nation and the world who uh, survive by collecting state-funded benefits. Meanwhile, California's middle class and small business beset by a high cost of li- living and crippling regulation, watch their investment and their enterprises dwindle away. Uh, that might got a little bit more on this one. It talks about how to fight this. It says, fight to lower the barrier to building new suburbs on open land instead of letting oligarchs and greenies cram everybody into footprints of existing cities. So that's that's basically the end of this article here. But you can see how 
California has embraced this this concept of corporate socialism. And obviously, this is for the the good of humanity. This is good for the good of the collective because why wouldn't you want to save the world from climate disaster? Why wouldn't you want to um put us all on an equal playing field because there are people starving out there. I understand that. There are people living much worse than I could ever conceive living. But this is not their goal because those top elitists could turn around with all their billions of dollars and save the world on their own without getting us all involved. They have enough money to feed the world probably 10 times over again. But that's not the case. But they all want to get together and say how, hey, uh, we're not doing a good enough job of uh, closing this pay gap. The pay gap has opened more so in the wake of COVID-19 as these top corporations acquire more and more of the wealth. They, um, the transfer of power becomes more and more towards a smaller handful of people, handful of corporations, handful of politicians, what have you. Their goal is not to save humanity and make it more equitable. It's to make us, the serfs, more equitable down here and them own everything at the fucking top. And that's why it bothers me when we talk about progressiveness, we talk about wokeism, we talk about, um, well, why wouldn't it, why wouldn't you want socialism? Because that's not what they're pushing. That's not what California models here. This is like they're lying to you to make you think that they're on your side. But what they are doing, and the media is involved, obviously, you got the um, all the, the major tech corporations involved with Google, with Microsoft, uh, uh, Facebook. They're all on the same page here because... They're all in a fight to gain that power. <clears throat> got a little more here. We are about out of time. But I got this one more article that brings us back to the Great Reset because I like talking about the Great Reset because it seems to be the agenda here. Um, and a lot of things tie back to it, and I'm sorry if that bothers you that we always talk about this. We're not doom and gloom people, but... We can see the writing on the walls. We can see the agenda here, especially when they come out with phrases like build back better here in the United States, which came straight from these organizations such as the World Economic Forum and their agenda. It's not a conspiracy theory. It is straight out of the, the horse's mouth. They want to do this. I mean, you, you look up the Great Reset on Google and there's always like uh, fact check articles that say this isn't this isn't about the conspiracies, the, the conspiracy theorists are wrong. It's just a model of how they want blah, 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 all this bullshit. But all the things we talk about that they say is just conspiracy theory are the things that they actually say. It comes straight out of their fucking mouths. So this one is titled The Great Reset, Corporate Socialism or Capitalism with Chinese Characteristics. So they got two titles for that. We're going to keep along with corporate socialism, because, again, I'm tying this back to California, and they have this, they are the model child for this corporate socialist agenda. It says, starts out, it says, welcome to my city. 
Or should I say our city? I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all these things became free, so it ended up not making sense for us to own much. <clears throat> you hear the propaganda there. Oh, uh, everything should be free, so everybody has access to it. And if it's free, why own it? So let's uh, demonize public or privately owned property. Let's demonize pr owning your own vehicle. Because why? Why would you need to own this? Because it doesn't make sense in this city. Because everything is service to you. Everything is free. For you to live your the things you need for your daily lives, it's all free. So why do you need to own anything? This goes completely against how the entire United States was set up. It says the vision of a blogger. This is the vision of a blogger from the World Economic Forum. So when they say that this great reset of hey give up all your private property, they say it's a conspiracy theory. It is right there. It's right there. A blogger from. The World Economic Forum. This report from the future to the past, our present, is not a utopia or a dream of the future, we are told. Yet the future just so happens to meet all the criteria of the Great Reset. Low to no carbon emissions, nearly 100% reusable products, sustainability, a happy, compliant population. The Great Reset is a phrase first used by Klaus Schwab. We've talked about him. We've done full episodes about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. Um and the WEF to describe a new kind of capitalism. In their book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, WEF founder and executive chairman Klaus Schwab and Thierry Malaret write that the COVID-19 crisis should be regarded as an opportunity that can be seized to make the kind of institutional changes and policies that will put economies on the path towards a fairer, greener future. Keyword there, fairer, greener. But fair, look at all the people coming up with the shit. I can't say it enough. Look at all the people that are talking about this stuff and saying, hey, we need a path to a fairer society. It's always the people at the freaking top of the food chain, the people that don't even consider themselves to be the same humans that we are. Everybody's created equal, just some people are created more equal, as the book 1984 says or not named that's from uh, animal farm all animals are created equal some animals are more equal than others that is them this fairer future where all of us lowly lives live on the same level and they just own everything and all the wealth and all the resources are controlled by them doesn't sound like a fairer a path to fairer future to me Thus, the Great Reset aims to use COVID-19 as an opportunity to reset capitalism in order to address climate change and to bring about so-called economic fairness. We know COVID-19 crisis is, although we may disagree on its dangers and our government response to it, and we know what climate change is, although disagreements about its dangers and causes abound. But what is this fairer future, and how would the Great Reset bring that about? The Great Reset would replace shareholder capitalism or neoliberalism 
and universal stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism involves the consideration of customers, suppliers, employees, and local communities, in addition to shareholders in the business operations of the world's major corporations and governments. A stakeholder is anyone or any group that stands to benefit or lose from the corporate behavior. Other than competitors, we may suppose, or we may suppose. Stakeholder capitalism involves changes to the behavior of corporations with respect to carbon use, but also in terms of the distribution of benefits and other externalities that corporations produce. It means not only corporate or corporate cooperation, but also government intervention in the economy. We all know how efficient the government is when they get their fingers in the fucking economy. Look at the freaking supply chain crisis we got going on currently. Schwab and Malaret promote the return of big government. If the past five centuries in Europe and America have taught us anything, they assert it is that acute crises contribute, contribute to boosting the power of the state. It's always been the case, and there is no reason why it should be different with the COVID-19 pandemic. We already have seen this major power grab that has been going on for the last year and a half. Because the Great Reset vets power and control in major corporations and the state, it does not represent the standard socialism or communism in the usual sense of those terms. We saw, I, I talked about that in the last article. This isn't communism. It's something totally different. It says, it however, represents a kind of socialism. I have referred to this system variously as neo-feudalism. There's that word again. It's not at all socialism. It is straight-up feudalism corporate socialism, and as capitalism with Chinese characteristics. So he compares it to what's going on in China, in China right now. So he goes into a, a couple things. I, I, like I said, I cannot read all of these articles because I don't have enough time in the world. I am going to post links to this in the show notes later. So check these articles out because there's a lot of information in it, and it digs so much deeper than I'm even getting into on this show. Talks about first the lockdown. So it's talking about how we basically got here, heading in this direction of corporate socialism. The COVID-19 lockdowns have been moving us toward the corporate socialism of the Great Reset. The draconian lockdown measures employed by leaders of nation states, or California, regions and cities just so happen to be doing the work that the corporate socialists like the WEF and their collaborators want done. In addition to destabilizing nation-states, these policies and politics are helping to destroy small businesses, thus eliminating competitors. I don't think Brian knew how much he was going to connect what he was talking about on the surface level of the problems with California to some of this deeper agenda shit that I'm talking about now. What the hell was that? Talking about Policies and politics that destroy the small businesses. COVID-19 lockdowns, destroying small businesses. Brian talked about how like the high percentages, high percentage of businesses that had to shut down because of COVID lockdowns. And then Amazon went in and bought up all that private property. And Amazon's probably hand in hand with these <laughs> corporate socialist ideolo ideologists. Because they're getting a major stake out of this. It says, as small business has been crushed by draconian lockdowns, corporate giants like Amazon... <laughs> I mean, it's talking literally about 
what Brian said. Corporate giants like Amazon have thrived like never before. As BBC News noted, at least three of the tech giants, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook, appreciated massive gains during the lockdowns. During the three months ending in June 2020, Amazon's quarterly profit of $5.2 billion was the biggest since the company's start in 1994 and came despite heavy spending on protective gear and other measures due to the virus. Amazon's sale rose by 40% in three months ending in June. Talk about redistribution of power, redistribution of wealth. The second element, so the first element was the lockdowns that was pushing us towards this. The second element says, I'll explain in terms of the Great Reset may not be as obvious as the first because it's ideological. Just how do the planners mean to establish the reset ideologically? That is, how would a reset of the mass mind come to pass that would allow for the many elements of the Great Reset to be put into place? Without mass rebellion, that is. After all, if the Great Reset is to take hold, some degree of conformity on the part of the population will be necessary. Despite the the enhanced, extended, and more precise control over the population that transhumanist technology and centralized digital currency would afford. This is the function of ideology. Ideology, as the Marxist historian of science Richard Luantin has argued, works by convincing people that the society in which they live is just and fair, or if not just and fair, then inevitable, and that it is quite useless to resort to violence." So they got to convince us that this is the only way. This is the way, as they, they say in The Mandalorian. This is the way. Change your brainwash you, basically. Says the battleground is in people's heads, and if the battle is won on that ground, then the peace and tranquility of society are guaranteed. Ideology on this account is not the same as worldview. It is rather mental programming necessary for domination and control short of the use of force. So they don't want to use violence. They don't want to use force. They want to win that battle in your heads first. Then comes wokeism. And it talks about wokeism and how wokeism is changing ideologies to make us feel like this is what we want. This is something that benefits the entire, the, the whole. It says, wokeness is not aimed at the sufferance or sufferers who complain, whose complaints or imagined complaints it means to redress. So it's not, wokeness doesn't address the people who are actually suffering. Wokeness doesn't address the people that have legitimate complaints. Wokeness works on the majority, the supposed beneficiaries of injustice. It does this by making the majority understand that it has benefited from privilege and preference based on skin color, gender, sexual proclivity, birthplace, gender identity, and the domination of nature, to name some of the major culprits. So if they can make you think that you are wrong because you benefit from these injustices— that you benefit from your white privilege or the patriarchy or colonialism and imperialism, all this stuff. That's wokeness. They aim to break down your ideology and make you think that you are doing something wrong by benefiting from society. So you can see how if they make you think 
that because that you must live in privilege because you have air conditioner or you have private property or you have access to private transportation. You're doing something wrong because you're living in a position of privilege. Wokeness, to tear down your ideological mindset so that you willfully embrace this, this society that they are trying to create. You willfully um, grab hold of this, hey, everybody has to be on the same playing field, guys, because you're privileged. You should, you're just living in your privilege right now. What the hell is this? What are the effects of being repeatedly reprimanded as such, of being told that one has been the beneficiary of unmerited privilege, that one's relative wealth and well-being have come out of the expense of oppressed, marginalized, and misused others? Shame, guilt, remorse, unworthiness, and what are the expected attitudinal, attitudinal and behavioral adjustments to be taken by the majority? They are to expect less. Under woke ideology, one will be expected and more likely to forfeit one's property rights because everyone's property and rights, nay, especially one's property and rights, have come at the expense of others. I don't think I need to talk more about wokeism. I can definitely see the agenda of wokeism that I never even really grasped in my head. I just thought it was this generational thing of, you know, push this this wokeness, this uh, whole white supremacy, this white uh, privilege idea. So for whatever reason, this ties right into this because this breaks you down by reprimanding you for basic privileges such as property rights. I'm out of time to really keep going in this article, but you see the dangers of this corporate socialism. And as I mentioned a couple times, California is a perfect poster child of corporate socialism. California, you have lots of not only the billionaire tech elites, but you also have all the multimillionaire, possibly billionaire um, celebrities that live over there, and they sit in their flowery hot tubs, and they say how we need to do this for the good of humanity. We need to shut ourselves in our home for the good of humanity. We need to... You had fucking uh, Leonardo DiCaprio flying coach. That's how great of a person he is. Fly coach to the climate summit because he just wants to do things for the better of humanity. All these people that sit at the top telling you how, you know, owning your own property is kind of a privilege. It's kind of something that you should be willing to give up because you didn't earn. Remember when Obama said that? You didn't earn that. You didn't build that. That's basically what this is. But it's not for the good of the people that are actually hurting. It's for the benefit of the people at the top that want to grab up all that power because if it was not... They would use their power and their billions of dollars and actually do something about it instead of going to these these summits and these these meetings and these luxurious resorts and 
talking about how we can make the world a more equitable place. How about you put some of that money you spent on that freaking summit and make the world a better place? But that's not it. They just want to take your shit from you and dish it back out to you as they see necessary. As they want to, for the good of climate, give you this delicate feast of crickets because it's a privilege to eat steak. It's a privilege to eat so lavishly when they're sitting on their high horse. What what kind of food do you think they ate at this climate summit? What kind of meals do you think they ate? Do you think they were eating crickets? Or do you think they were eating like prime rib steak? Probably not even prime rib steak. They're probably eating like some rare uh, endangered species steak because they're much too good for prime rib steak. They're eating these delicate dinners, probably hundreds of thousands of dollar meals, while they're talking about how we need to eat bugs for the good of humanity. It's a power grab. It's all it is. It's a power grab. And we see it in California so vividly. And that's that's a picture of what they want for the rest of us. So we got people like Brian living out there in California that's fighting the good fight. So that shit won't come to your doorstep because that's what they want. They want all your stuff. They want all your uh, private property. They want all the resources. They want to be able to control the food. They don't want private ownership except for the mega corporations that are in the the books or in the pockets of the politicians or the world leaders that are making these decisions, just like the corporate unions. The corporations in this scenario are going to be basically, not the corporate unions, the public sector unions where they put the person in power so that the person in power can make decisions that benefit them and give them more power. That's all this is. I'm going to get out of here for this week. I want to say thanks again to Brian McWilliams for coming on the show. Check out all this shit all over um, social media, check out the Lines of Liberty podcast, the Boring podcast, and anything else he's connected to. I will push post show notes. I will post links to his stuff in the show notes when this is released in podcast format. Um, thanks for everybody that stuck around and watched this. Make sure you share this everywhere. That's how we get this <laughs> this thing to be bigger. We we got to talk about this stuff. And again, I I hate tying everything back to the Great Reset because. It just seems like her go-to, but it's not It's not like I go looking for this. It's, I'll look into stuff about California and how they got so shitty, and then it'll talk about how, then I'll find articles about how um, they're shitty because of corporate socialism. So then I'll look into corporate socialism, and then I'll find stuff of how the Great Reset is just a push for mega ultra corporate socialism. So I don't want you to think that I'm just like, how do I tie California to the Great Reset? That's not how this works. I wasn't even going to bring up the Great Reset. And then this article came up, and that happened. After I found out that Brian wasn't going to make it on for the full two hours, that is how this came to be. So if you value the freedoms that you get to enjoy by owning your house or owning your car or being able to go out and eat whatever the hell you want— Talk about this shit, because this is the direction this is going. This is the agenda. 
share this shit around. Share this the, this episode around, any of these articles, these resources that I give you, share it around. Talk to it about, talk about it with people because people just don't understand this. This socialism is not the socialism. This isn't progression. This isn't progressiveness. This is, this is regression back to putting all the power back in the hands of the elites. And that's not good. Once again, I'm going to get out of here. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Thanks for uh, for anybody who shared this around. Um, check us out on patreon.com forward slash break the bell. If you want to uh, contribute more, contribute financially, you can have access to our bonus content. You can have access to different merch options and and a bunch of other stuff. So that's patreon.com forward slash break the bell. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your week. Never, never stop talking. Goodbye. The Break the Bell podcast is brought to you by you. So pat yourself on the back because without you, we would be talking to ourselves. A special thanks to our Patreon members, Justin Zelinski, Remzo Martinez, Stephanie Parker, and T.O. Jacobson. A shout out to our sponsors, Run Your Mouth Coffee, the On The Run Podcast, and Goulash Media. If you'd like to help support us, visit patreon.com slash breakthebell or buy our garbage at breakthebell.bigcartel.com. Get back here next week and let us continue to invade your ear holes. And as always, never stop talking.